76 of Gillen Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. I, as ever, am Hazel Bleals, and I'm joined once again by my dear friend and comment, 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 I don't know, my dear friend, my dear friend and most bodacious of colleagues, Hazel Irvin. Hazel, how the devil are you? I am the one who runs from the living and the dead. There we go. Are you well? I'm pretty good. How's yourself? I'm very well. I'm very well. Can't certainly can't complain. Um, about my lot in life, Mister Girl Rokitansky. Um, yeah, no, all's well, man. Um, what you been up to? Is there anything exciting happening? I've had two cinema trips. You've had two cinema trips. This I, is a, no, I've had three. This is already a big budget episode. Three um, cinema trips. Three. Three effing cinema traps. <laughs> how, how, how in God's name did you manage that? Uh, cheap day Tuesday. Ah, okay, but there's only been two Tuesdays in there the has, yes. in between. Uh, well, the other one was actually my my birthday present to my father. Oh, there we go. Okay, so what what did you go and see? Uh, I took him to see Fare Thee Well, The Grateful Dead's Who's final Kim? concert. What? Who's Kim? She sounds sexy. What are you talking? I never said it's... Kim. Oh, all right, okay, that's Kim. Good. Oh, that's not so bad. Okay. Fucking. <laughs> it was a present for my dad. Hi, Anne. Kim. <laughs> Kim. Kim was a present for your dad. <laughs> yes. Oh. Are you drinking again? Oh, you're on hot chocolate. That's hot what it chocolate. is. Hot chocolate. It's the, the e hot... numbers fucking it's with not... your delicate little head. It certainly is. So you went to see The Grateful Dead with Kim and your dad. Um, yes. How, how did you enjoy it? I thought it was great. It was really so, it was their, so it was their last concert? It was like a broadcast thing? Yeah, it was, although it wasn't live. Oh, was it as live? Or it, was was as, it... it was as live, which is probably better because the concert was uh, Sunday night. Uh-huh. But, well, 8 o'clock in Chicago. Well, on a Sunday, uh-huh. that's a bit late for people to be going to the cinema over here. So they made it 6.30 on Monday instead. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome, but it also meant that they cut out the the stuff in the half-time break. All right, okay, what was that? I don't know, I never saw it, they cut it out. Ah, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> the clue was in the description. Very interesting. Yep. Hmm. Well, yeah, sorry, I was not listening. Uh, <laughs> Fuck you. I zoned out when you started talking about terrible, terrible bands. Um, I wasn't talking about Bob Dylan. Oh, <laughs> very good. They, they collaborated with Bob Dylan, of course. On the Dylan and the Dead album. Did, That's really, did really of, good. Did a couple of tours together. It, it was murder. That's one of the worst things I've ever bought. Yep, Bob Dylan really fucked it all up. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think he did. He, he certainly wasn't. Certainly wasn't his strongest at that point. No. Um. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, but there we go. Um. Yeah. So very, very cool. But was it streaming live on Sunday? Uh, it was obviously not in the UK, but elsewhere. Well, it was streaming live on a pay-per-view thing, and you could pay YouTube twenty dollars to watch it as well. Oofed. Yep. I bet it's up on YouTube for free just now. It's not. It's not. Okay, fair enough. It has been, then it gets taken down. Then it is again, then it's taken down. All right. There we go. Cool. Just like the Danzig, Leg- Dan- Danzig Legacy thing. <laughs> well, there's, a three, there's three DVDs coming out in time for Christmas, so... Oh, my goodness, really? Yeah. Why three DVDs? They did three nights in Chicago. Oh, right. Okay, fair enough. Like, different sets each night. Ah, there we Different three-and-a-half-hour-long sets each night. <laughs> wow, Jesus. Yeah, well, I suppose they've been going for ages, right? 50 years. It was a joint 50th anniversary celebration and final ever gig. There we go. Very cool. That sounds good. More well, the other two films that you went to see, were they classics? <laughs> they were. Yeah. They were, were they? I went to see Minions. Oh, very good. How was that? I really enjoyed it. Apparently, there was a big grin on my face all the way through it. Ah, oh, great. And it was a 10am showing during the summer holidays, uh-huh. which usually sounds like that'll be a nightmare because it's going to be full of kids. Uh-huh. See, watching Minions in a room full of kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was quite funny. Yeah. I mean, how does it compare to Despicable Me 2? Because, I mean, obviously, I, I could kind of... I almost feel as if I could see the Minions far enough up to a point, and I, I, I don't... Um... You know they're 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 amusing up to a point, but I don't think I could. Is there is there considerably more focus on them in this film, as as kind of suggested by the title? There's more, and there's less. Which that, I think is it's, it's not possible for those things to be both. No, it is. It's quite a clever thing that they've done because you know how the minions, their main selling point is that there's absolutely shitloads of them, and every one of them's got their own individual little quirks and stuff like that. Yes. Well, that would be really annoying <laughs> for like a 90-minute film. Because sure. it would just be... It would just turn into a wall of white noise. Uh-huh. So they cut the minions down to three and have the rest of them living in a cave. Okay. Yeah. basically... It's, it's all about the philosophy of the minions, which is... They are to serve what is biggest, baddest, be- <laughs> biggest, bestest, baddest thing, really. Uh-huh. That's why they work for villains. But they've been in a cave <laughs> for years and years. It sounds really uh-huh. sad, like discussing this, but it is actually some of the bits in the cave are really funny. Because living in the cave, they have nothing in their life apart from all the stupid little things that they do, that they become totally bored with but still keep doing. So watching really, really bored minions, it shows you them when they first get there and they make themselves like a big football stadium and when they've been in there for ages and they're all depressed, they're still playing the game, but nobody really cares about scoring or staying upright. It's... (laughs) (laughs) It's a fun film. I wouldn't say that it's the same as... The Despicable Me films. Sure. But, you know, as long as they just stick with just the one Minions film, uh-huh. 
It's their Genesis story. And that very, very neatly uh, <laughs> ties you into the other film that you saw this week. <laughs> Terminator Genesis. Awful film. Really? Absolutely ridiculously bad. Does it Arnold Schwarzenegger seeing some of his catchphrases? Yes, and doing some comedy Terminator trying to smile. Uh-huh. Stuff. Does it, oh. does, it, does it upend the expectations by having other characters seeing some of the catchphrases from Terminator films? Yeah, but it already does that in the trailer anyway. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, Sarah Connor says, come with me if you want to live. Uh, ha like in the film. Like in the film, yeah. That's genius. Well, it recreates a couple of bits from the first Terminator, which uh-huh. almost hints at them doing something interesting with this film. But then it turns out that they're not. I think they've just made a film that has a couple of nice-looking scenes at the start that someone else could have expanded into a good story as opposed to the like Terminator gangbang that they've made because it's just ridiculous. Like it shows you a one o like what's supposed to be the original one o one being sent back. And they recreate that scene with the punks. And then it's got T-800, or whatever Terminator 2 was, turns up, beats the shit out of that one. And then five minutes later, there's a T-1000. Yep, so constantly just harkening back to everything. Well, that, but also just constantly adding in more Terminators. There's another two types of Terminator that it then goes on to show you. Right, okay. It's just like, oh, you want a new Terminator film? Well, you're going to want a new Terminator as well. No. We want a story. (laughs) And this story just does not work. It is so full of plot holes. Like, it even, it has a whole section of the film that's set in 1984 and they keep pointing out that Kyle and Sarah need to mate, otherwise John Connor's not going to be born. Right, okay. Uh-huh. And then they time travelled to 2017 instead. Right, okay. But that means that John Connor's not going to be born in, like, 1985. Uh-huh. Possibly not even going to be born at all now. Right, okay, it's, okay. It's just a horrible... Oh, it's so bad. And then I remembered that, oh, it's going to be a trilogy. And there's another one of them coming out next May. And then there's no. another one of them coming out the next year. Now, am I right in thinking that there is a Arnold Schwarzenegger um, CGI Schwarzenegger? Yeah, that's the 101 that comes back. And it's, it's completely CG, CGI or is it... How's it... What does it look like? It looks like a, a very good CGI army. More so in close-up, I think. So it's, it it's quite more, well done. Uh-huh, it, is, it, it looks just like Arnie from the first wow. film, although you can tell that it's CGI, but it does look better like in close-up. You know, that's that's not in the film for very long, because sure. as soon as it turns up, it has a fight with Grandad Arnie. Uh-huh. Well, actually, she calls him Pops. Like Sarah uh-huh. Connor calls him Pops because he's raised her since she was nine. So that's like Terminator 2, where, uh-huh. where she's going, oh, the Terminator was the best dad John ever knew. 
Now the Terminator was the best dad that she ever knew. Maybe we should just fucking let the machines win. <laughs> Her family seems happier with them. Oh, and then John Connor turns out that he's a Terminator. God. Ridiculous, just we go. awful pile of shite. So not not a recommend from you then, Mr. Mr. Rockman Rock? No, actually is one of the worst films I've seen all year. Is there, is there anything else that you would recommend instead of, uh, that people could do instead of, or even an activity that people could do instead of... Uh, Drown kittens? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, I also went to the pictures this week. Um, I went only once, um, and I went to see um, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I really want to see that. It's directed by uh, Bill Condon and uh, stars uh, Serene McKellen and Laura Linney, who I believed was deaf, but apparently she isn't. <laughs> I was confusing her with Marley. Uh, who is it? Marley Marlin or something? And I was saying, oh, this is, she's really good. <laughs> I don't remember her name. Um, Marley Matlin, sorry. And I was all the way through it, I was going, wow, she's she's really, really good. You can barely tell that this woman's deaf. And then I was like, oh, it's a different person. I wish you'd been at the, like, just at the premiere for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, there we go. Um, but yeah, the film is fantastic. The film is is very very good. Um, if you're a if you're a fan of Sherlock Holmes, it's it's very good. Um, even you know even if you'll know it, it's um, it kind of concerns uh, it's kind of old man Logan type uh, version of Mister Holmes uh, of Sherlock Holmes. He's a, a retired detective um, thinking over his life and thinking over a, a case uh, that had an ending that wasn't happy about and trying to remember what the you know what the basically that he's suffering from senile dementia and trying mm. to uh trying to re, trying to recall what the issue was with this case and why he was um why he was blocking the memory um so it was yeah very 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 good um was it the death of watson no it wasn't it Aww. wasn't no you only you only saw it's it's more interesting than that and just uh, just more subtle than that and just very 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 well done. Um, so highly highly recommended. It's still in cinemas just now, so if you can get a chance to go and see that one, it's uh, it's you know worth worth a look. The other film I saw was uh, Good Vibrations from two thousand and twelve. Um, the name which, rings a bell, but I don't know if that's uh, just because of the song. Uh, yeah, it's about a. Uh, uh, DJ in Belfast, or sorry, record shop owner in Belfast. Oh, the, um, the punk one. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a, a record store owner who opens up and he's trying to get to the, trying to uh, reach this audience of people that he knows is out there that uh, that share his ideals that, that aren't interested in uh, any of the kind of, uh, any of the Catholic and Protestant uh, troubles that are going on over there, and 
uh, kind of tries tries to build something up with this record shop, but obviously fails, and um, then all of a sudden discovers that a subculture exists uh, that ties in very much with his kind of wider philosophy, um, and it's just the story of. Uh, you know, it's quite quite touching and touches on things like the, the very touches very lightly on on things and then passes on. It doesn't need to well, but obviously key key moments uh, from that time period. Obviously, like the Miami Show Band uh, massacre and different things um, like that were genuine tragedies and and situations and 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 puts characters in very similar situations as well mm-hmm. to, to things that, that genuinely happened in and around Belfast at that time. So it's it's fantastic and re- really good fun. Um, it, it makes its point, moves on, makes its point, moves on, makes its point, moves on, to the point that it, it remains a comedy, but you continually feel the strain of that period mm-hmm. while, it's, while it is still a very, you know, the good vibes are all the way through it like a golden thread but no it's it's great great piece of work and very very enjoyable even if you've got no get any interest in punk rock or anything like that it's it's uh, just a a great great and enjoyable film uh, the other movie i saw was one that you had recommended to me a while ago but i'd never seen it because i thought it was kind of the kind of thing that gil likes <laughs> uh, i filed it under that um this well, is, as opposed to the amazing collections goes, that you've made for tonight, this, this goes this goes in the same box as like senseless things, wonder stuff, Ned's atomic dustbin. Um, so it's, it was uh, <laughs> the film. The oh, sorry, no, it's not the Cube. That's Philip Schofield. It's <laughs> it's Cube from nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. Um, so, Gil, I don't know. Would you like to say anything about that one? It's one you you've obviously had mentioned to me before uh cubes are just a, a really interesting small cast kind of psychological experiment type horror film uh-huh. it's superb people were uh, all trapped in a room for different reasons with different skills and that's the, the one thing that annoys me about cube is slap if they died in a different order, uh huh, then the whole film would be shafted. Oh, sure, fair enough. Okay, well, do you want to explain that a wee bit? Uh, well, that would kind of spoil it if I explained that bit. But okay, fair enough. No, that's okay. But yeah, the the cubes, it's it's basically a like they're in a giant, constantly rotating cube that's just filled with smaller cubes that some of which are filled with incredibly awesome and deadly traps. Yep. Like, some of the traps in this are just superb. Like the the first thing you see is a guy literally being cubed uh-huh. by, like, two rows of razor wire. Yep. It's superb. But it's it's also a, just a, a really nicely lit film as well. That yeah. stands out the different coloured rooms that they find and stuff and uh, yeah. So I mean, I was this a was this a re- relatively low budget film or was it? Well, it was an indie film. I'm not sure what ah, budget okay. was, but okay, it was one of those films that got talked a lot about on forums and things. That's 
it kind of found its audience through people recommending it, I think. Very cool. Very cool. But what did you think of it? Well, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I found it completely engaging all the way through, which is unusual for most uh, most horror films. Uh, they tend to lag at, at certain points a lot of the time. Um, this uh, has got quite a good pace to it. Um, kind of constantly keep me interested without the kill count being ridiculous. It just kind of it, it moves along at quite a, a good clip. Um well, it's very character-based because... Yeah, it's, it's very character-based, but there's not really much else to it. There's, yeah, because the, the scenery never changes. Every no. every cube looks identical. You know, it probably is just the one cube that they It had. could very well just be the one. But it's a, it's like a, it's almost like a test of... You know, a test of your ability to write um, something like that, where you where you are writing something that's mm-hmm. just, a, just a cube. Um and and I think that they've done that really well. Um, it's it's really well put together. I know you've said about there being a couple of sequels. I'd look at the trailer for Hypercube, and man, that looks awful. That looks really bad. Um, <laughs> it's Hi- I think it, Hypercube uh, and then Cube Zero. Cube, uh-huh, Cube looks... Zero is a prequel, and uh, Hypercube is a sequel. So is, is Cube Zero worth looking at? Uh, I'd say that they're all worth looking at just to I mean you won't like the other two as much as you liked Cube but it's interesting enough to see them because the the cubes are different in each film as well like in Hypercube obviously they're a bit more high tech appearing but in Cube Zero they're more basic it's almost kind of steampunkish in a way mm-hmm. and it also features two characters who operate the cube mm-hmm. basically uh, kind of caretakers very cool yeah yeah so it gives you because that's one thing that they kind of needed to do was to go outside the cube I don't think so I, I, th- I think I think if you you can over-explain a thing like this, you know, I think... Well, they don't really over-explain it too much, that's the thing, because all three cubes are different, but to at least see that there is some sort sort of proper setup behind it, Uh rather than that just being constantly faceless, the fact Mm -hmm. that the only people that you really see outside it for any amount of time are these two guys that are more basically... They're like a couple of lighthouse keepers, you know, sure. bored of their job and bored of each other's company. Sure. Oh, well, I know how that feels. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of other things that have been going on in, in horror uh, I've since the last episode, I suppose the trailer for... Um, the trailer for Green Inferno came out and it got an official... I think the trailer's been doing the rounds yeah. for a wee while, but it kind of got an official release date, so the trailer's been going up a, a bit more. What did you think of that, Gil? Have you had a chance to get a look at that? So that, sorry, good uh, 
Green Inferno, just for anyone who hasn't uh, heard about it, is Eli Roth's uh, cannibal film. Um, it was filmed in 2013. There's been a whole rake of problems with uh, the, the film's release, um, possibly to do with financing, we don't know. Um, but anyway, it's getting a final release date sometime around, I think it's October of this year. Um, but Gil, yeah, what, what did you think of the trailer? Have you got a chance to get a look at it? Yeah, I've looked at it. I thought it looked pish. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> That's just plain as I can be like, I thought it looked... Yeah. I did think this film looks pish. Because as everybody keeps on saying that it looks like it's very heavily inspired by Cabo Holocaust, and that's even yeah. been admitted now. And uh-huh. what it appears to have not taken from Cannibal Holocaust is the idea that Cannibal Holocaust portrayed the the things that the filmmakers within the film would have you believe are these horrible attacks by this tribe that are kind of uncivilised were actually acts of retribution instead. Yep. And this just makes it look like the tribe are just a bunch of... Like, savages. Savages. Savage. That's what it is. I mean, that's the... the, the, the that's absolutely hit the nail on the head from that side i mean the 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 i I don't know i mean we've not seen the film yet we don't know whether that's right enough and i mean part of part of what we've seen does up to a point hint at some of the themes that you're talking about um with the uh, victims for example are dressed in uh like loggers clothes um prior to execution, which is possibly a nod to things like, you know, what's happening in the Middle East just now and that side of things. It might be a a nod to that. Um, But also from the point of view of, you know, they they are making that connection uh, there. But, I mean, the thing that's important about Cannibal Holocaust is that it's... um, you know, again, it is the tribe that's reacting and it's a subtle... um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's not a subtle film, but it's a film that that has a clear point to make yep. um, about voyeurism, about us as spectators, about us as uh, as viewers of this kind of material and our complicity and violence as a whole. Yep. Um, I don't expect to see any of that of, uh, or, you know, from from uh, the Green Inferno and obviously Green Inferno itself, the title comes from Cannibal Holocaust as well. So, I mean, that's a direct, you know, a, a direct... I mean, almost it's showing your references up to a point. Yeah. So, But, I mean, uh, in terms of Eli Roth, I, I'm not expecting big things. I'll watch it. I'm looking forward to, to watching it. But um, I think I was I was looking forward to seeing The Sacrament also. Um, yeah. And, I, and that was a, a major... Major disappointment. Um, a film that basically copied. Well, it didn't copy anything, but it took a took events that happened in real life. It took a good documentary and some good exploitation films and kind of transposed that into its own thing. That there was neither neither note nor summit, yeah. as they say. Um, so, but yeah, just. Uh, I'll look on it with interest, but I'm not holding on any, uh, no holding up any 
uh, excite. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not holding, hold my breath. The other, the other film, obviously, just now is Knock Knock uh, that Eli Roth got out. I don't know if he's directed that or if he's produced it, but it stars, mm-hmm. um, uh, stars Chevy Chase. No, uh, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Always get those two messed up. Uh, it stars Keanu Reeves um, as a, you know, a decent person, a decent man who's. Uh, Whose misogyny is is called into account, and whose whose privilege is firmly checked. Yep, I've seen um, the, I've seen the trailer. Uh huh. So I think it's good. To, it's uh, I think you know it's good that that Eli Roth is teaching us about feminism. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> so. But... <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> it looks really really bad. Yeah. I, again, I think I'm I'm. Curious, uh, I'm curious to see how that one turns out. I, I think uh, I think that may be one that I could uh, I could go to the the cinema to see. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 also, I mean, the, I'm I'm ho- hoping to go and see the Amy Winehouse documentary this week. Um, so I'll be no doubt reporting on that at some point in your future. Um, I've heard that is really good. But... Yeah, I'm looking forward to looking forward to seeing that. As I say, it's um, I didn't, you know, one that's... didn't really like her music to be honest no sure sure i think it's i think it'll be interesting nonetheless a kind of character study the other thing i was going to say just quickly before we before we move on was our uh, friend of the show and regular contributor jonathan jonathan jr um uh has uh recently released a new comic um and it's a, a 12 issue collection of uh, his comic, The United. Um, so that's going to be available in Forbidden Planet. Uh, you'll be able to buy that from Forbidden Planet in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not in Glasgow or if you'd like to order it, you can you can get in touch via uh, canonhillcomics.co.uk um, and you can also look at all 12, uh, all hell, all 12 issues of the comic online for free. Um, it unfortunately doesn't have the... Um, it doesn't have the covers. So that's, sorry, canhillcomics.com. So if you go to canhillcomics.com, you can look through all 12 of the episodes of that. Um, and you can also see uh, Space Rats number one. Um, so that's uh, pretty cool. Yep. Um, I so, went past Forbidden Planet the other day, and oh, I love looking in that window. Very cool. I think he's actually taking them down. You can only see the first two, uh, the first three episodes of the United um but you can you can i believe you can pre-order uh the uh the 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 collected edition um which I've, which I, I don't know a price for that but you'll be able to you'll be able to find out it's, it's not a whole lot of money i don't think yes why uh, please please do so that's canhillcomics.com and the web reader was uh, the the comic reader was uh put together uh well added to the site by my Unfair hand. <laughs> um, that was very Radio Four. <laughs> there we go. So, guys, without further further ado, um, we shall take a, a short break there, and then we will be back to discuss the Blind Dead film series. Uh, so, we'll have a short break, and we'll be back after this. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast under the stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. 
That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. Okay guys, uh, and we're back to discuss the Blind Dead series of films. We've, uh, we're reviewing today Tombs of the Blind Dead and Attack of the Blind Dead or Revenge of the Evil Dead. Uh, that's the kind of alternate titles. Um, so we'll start off, uh, if you don't mind, Gil, with the first film in the series. Um, yes. You know. <laughs> yes, let's. You know, thinking outside the box. Let's um, start with Tombs of the Blind Dead. The, master- <clears throat> the masterpiece that it is. Okay, so it was originally released as uh, The Night of the Blind Terror, um, and that was uh, written and directed by Armando de Osorio. Um, it was written by uh, written by the same, and starring Rowan Fleming and Cesar Burner. Um, so, Gil, what did you make of this? Well, you, well sorry, I should give a, a summary yeah. of the plot, as ever. As it is. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so I think this is poorly translated from Spanish, but I think we'll go through it. Go through it, will we? I thought you were talking about the film. Ah, oh, very good. Okay, in the 13th century, there existed a legion of evil knights known as the Templars, who quested for eternal life by drinking human blood and committing sacrifices. Executed for their unholy deeds, the Templars' bodies were left out for the crows to peck out their eyes. Now. In modern-day Portugal, a group of people stumble on the Templars' abandoned monastery, reviving their rotten corpses to terrorise the land. Um, <laughs> not, not, not strictly true. Um, so, yes, yeah, uh, our two kind of main characters are uh, Virginia and Bet, who are two friends. Um, I, I just said Roger was... Virgin. Roger Roger is also a main character, yes. I'd say he's more of a main character than Virginia, or is it Bet? Which one gets off the is she... <laughs> <laughs> I believe it is Virgin... it's Virginia. Virginia that gets off the train. I believe so, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, never get off the train. Never get off the train. So um, the film starts off uh, by the poolside um, with... Uh, Virginia and Bet, who are old school friends, running into each other, and then having a bizarre, sexy fantasy of when they were when they were at college together. Hopefully, was that and that's um, that's that's later on, isn't it? Yeah, possibly. Oh, yeah, that's, that's on the train. It, that's on the train. Okay, what does it matter? Does it? It do, well, I it I does matter. Does it, well, does it? Explain it to me. I, I watched both versions, right, and okay. even though like we're We'll basically just review the Spanish version. I also watched the English dub version that doesn't start off with that scene. Okay, so the English dub version, if I remember correctly, starts off with the, the, uh, the sacrifice story. Yep. Yep, sure. Okay, or one of the Temple's backstories. <laughs> yes, the, the, it starts off with this Temple's backstory. Um, so 
the Spanish language version starts off uh, by the pool. Two friends, Virginia and Bette, meet each other, blah, 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 chatter, chatter, chatter. We're going up to the country. Do you fancy coming? I've got this guy that I'm seeing. It's not very serious. His name's Roger. Roger gets out of the pool. Roger says, oh, Virginia, do you want to come on over to my place? <laughs> or is it or is it Bette? I don't remember which. It's um, Bette. It's Bette. Why okay. haven't you introduced me to this friend of yours before? Yeah. This is a film where every time people meet each other, there's some sort of sexual tension that's going to come <laughs> up. Oh, and then Bet and Roger fall instantly in love. Um, no, they uh, don't. Roger falls... Roger falls instantly in horn with every female that just happens to pass in front of his fucking glassy eyes. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so the, the, the end result is they get on a train... Um, Bet tries to cancel and tries to say, "Look, oh, I'm not gonna come. My, my male friend that I've invited isn't able to come, so I don't want to be a gooseberry." And Roger's like, "No, no, come on the come on the train. It'll be fine." And then he's like, "Oh, flirty with her." And Virginia's like, "That right? I'm out here." Uh, Virginia and Bet start talking. Then it gets to the romantic fantasy that they've had from when they were at college together. Let's just say college. Um, it's fucking to... mime school. Neither, <laughs> neither of them speak all the way through this entire yes. like four minute scene. It's done with like some very kind of cheesy sounding music hall type music behind it. Well, uh, I think it's Bet's looking in a magazine and sees a picture of. Uh, I think it's meant to be like a. Wedding party is like a bride and a groom. Yeah, I thought it was like a prince and a princess because he yeah. appeared to have like a big sash thing on, but uh, she shows that to Virginia. And then Virginia like dances about uh-huh. and has a moustache like from yes. her hair. And then yes. the two of them have that kind of apprehensive moment. And then Virginia just goes for a kiss and. Bet gets all oh I'm suddenly all shy and nervous. I shall sit in the bed and still not be saying anything. And Virginia's like, I can't be fucking saying anything either. I'll just kneel beside you, look into your eyes, and then we'll have a proper snog. Then I'll gently lay you back on the bed, and then it'll go back to the train. There we go. So Virginia decides she's getting off, and she wanders into the <laughs> Spanish countryside. You've um, those words well. She's getting off the train, rather. She wanders out into the Spanish countryside and uh, the train drivers are like that. Oh, we can't let her go. You know, this is a really, this is a really dodgy area for for guys, dead guys on horseback. And then they're like that. Nah, it's fine. Just let her go. So she goes away and she finds a monastery. She goes to sleep um, and the dead awaken. And it's really, really cool. Right, now you should just keep going with like the, the whole film like that and then I'll tell you what happens in the English language version because it's, <laughs> it's not all the same or at least it's not even all made to appear the same. Right, because, okay. Like the, the thing with the the pool is dead quick and then right, all of a sudden okay. it's Roger that's going, why don't you come with us? And she's going, oh, no, I can't. But then she doesn't have like a male friend that could come with her in the English language version. 
Uh-huh. She is just going along to be a gooseberry. All oh, right, okay. And there's like the when they pull the alarm to go like, oh, she's jumped off the train. Which, it wasn't, if she could jump off the train, why didn't the two of them jump off the train after her instead of screaming like, we children? Uh-huh. Yeah, you, they couldn't have been that worried about her. No, absolutely. Because um, it also appears that they went to the, the end of the line, uh-huh. went to the hotel they were staying at, had a good night's sleep, and then decided to talk about how she jumped off the train while sitting by the pool having cups of tea. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> But they, don't you think that they do appear to be like just going? Yeah, so we'll just we'll enjoy the one night. <laughs> it's because plot, Gil. It's because plot. So she goes and she has a wee sleep um, in the the, uh, the 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 monastery. So that's the same abandoned monastery from the introductory sequences, yeah. which are you know pretty effective actually. The the introduction sequences, um, just shots of this kind of. Uh, this kind of courtyard with quite kind of cool, eerie music over the top of it at the start. Um, the the shots are a bit sugarly, to be fair. Yeah, it's, a... <laughs> it's like it's and the titles are kind of like jumping all over the place. But man, I, I mean that was that's cool. It was it was effective. I, and... I know the exact shot you're talking about. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's uh, when the credits start to appear uh-huh. at the start, and it does this wonderful pan along the battlements. And you're thinking, this looks like a proper, nice, it's like a Hammer gothic movie. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and then the camera gets to the end of the pan. <laughs> and it stops, and it shuggles. <laughs> so you just got the battle bouncing from side to side for a wee second, and then it pulls up. Yep. You're like, uh, that's just totally started my illusion. A different time, different time. But, um... So yes, we get to the point where uh, she's lying, listening to some jazz in uh, Bolzano, which is the uh, which That's is the monastery. Place. Yep, the monastery that the blind dead have uh, have have made their own. Um, we should point out that they are blind because they were stabbed in the eyes. Yes, let's make that clear. <laughs> Although this film doesn't make that clear, it shows you like one guy getting blinded. Uh huh. Doesn't it? In in every film, there's a different reason why the why they're blind. Like some of them, it's like I think in this one, it's like the the eyes get picked out by crows. Oh yeah, and then the like worst. and then it's like in the, the second the other... one, their eyes were burnt out so they uh-huh. can find their way home. Uh huh. And in the third one, they pulled them out themselves. Um, I don't know what they did in the fourth one or the third <laughs> one for that matter. I'm kind of I'm freestyling. Um, It'd be nice if they did it like Sam Neil in Event Horizon. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, so she's sitting there listening to jazz, and for some reason the dead awaken. I think it's I think it's on a particular night, and I'm assuming that's from the second film. Yeah. Um, I, but I, mean, I was but... assuming that it was just because she was there. Uh-huh. And, and they the, can, they're sound activated. Well, we've not had any kind of, I mean, we've not had any kind of discussion about what the blind dead are. The blind dead are Templar knights who, uh, as we kind of mentioned before, have uh, been killed because of these these uh, these atrocities that they've carried out. Um, and what they look like are these kind of very strange hooded figures, uh, skeletons, uh, riding 
riding basically dead horses. Um, That's the dream. Oh. That's, you're describing the dream uh-huh. right now. Uh-huh. What they basically look like most of the time uh-huh. is a joke shop skeleton with a ring wraith costume <laughs> on that's being like fucking pushed around on set by someone that's lying on the ground. The ones on horses look awesome, and it's really... I mean, there are some really, really nice shots in this film. That's the the really sad thing, is that you do get some just beautiful, like, gothic horror shots that that are perfect. And then you get things like she opens up a window, Uh and there's, like, a fucking anatomy skeleton from biology class... Uh-huh. It's just so, I mean, motionless right in front of her. And then this so, like shitty skeleton hand comes through the window really yeah. slowly. So a lot of moments that could really have been effective are, are almost slightly spoiled by the fact that there's that these kind of rubbish skeleton hands are used like almost all of the time. Um yeah. I mean I know I noticed well in some of the films uh, in the kind of I think it was the second film, they've started using gauntlets for the hands. Yeah. Um which you know, they should have really done from the start and it would have just worked so much better. Um, I, I, for what it's worth, I think the, the, the creature design is really, really good. It's just that the execution is, is quite poor at times. Um, and I mean, I think that we, we get so many really cool, quite dark moments. Um, like the, the resurrection sequences are are pretty cool like with the uh looking at the graves and then the grave moving and then it's spoiled by this kind of rub- <laughs> rubbish yeah. skeleton hand coming out or it's the sort of thing um, that you buy in poundland at halloween so, so i mean that's that's kind of almost why i wanted to do these films was because these are like quite iconic um movies and they they look iconic and they, they it's a it's like a whole you know it's a whole sub-genre of movie that we've not really touched on um mm. And I, th- and I mean, I think there's value to them, but I think I agree with what you say in the sense that a lot, a lot of the time they do look, you know, really hokey. Um, if someone did a remake of Tombs of the Blind Dead, refined the storyline and kept the the idea for the makeup effects basically the same... They could make a really good film now. I think I think this is ripe for a remake, and it's very real that we we ever see that. Um, but I think this. I is just the want case. to see a good version of it. To be, honest. I think I think I think you're right. I think you could you could make a really really good film out of this, and you like a really good modern horror film out of times uh, Tombs of the Blind Dead. Instead of trying to put in like a really really shitty effect, see if they didn't have a decent enough effect for it. If they'd just gone, we won't show it. See if it had just well, been... Fair, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. If you just see the coffin lids sliding uh-huh. and stuff like that, and then maybe it, it, it... There's one point where I think it's attempting to cut to the corner of the room where there's meant to be one of the blind dead already standing there. But yep. it's so badly lit that it basically just looks like it pans up to a black screen. Sure. But, I mean, if you, if you did it like that, if you just attempted to show them as little as possible. Then... I think less is less is more of a film with this. I yeah. think that I mean it's it's great uh, it's great to see the blind dead quite often and that and um you know I'm I'm kinda of contradicting myself a little bit but I mean I, I think 
you know, it's 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 the less you show of something that you'll see in often. Um, I think I think there's value in that, and I think yeah. that this this film's a really good example of where you could have had a quite low budget film, but still done something really good. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I think this is a you know a, a great uh, and and definitely worth your time. Um, in terms of the being able to see this spectacle of these these creatures and the creature design. I think it's worth a look and it's, it's worth seeing because it's something that you, you don't see this kind of thing a lot and you don't it's it's you don't come across a lot of things where you go you know that's a really cool idea that's a really nice atmosphere that they've created there it's just that there's a lot of stuff that takes away from this and um, there's a lot of stuff in this film that takes away from it and makes it less good and yeah. it makes it makes it less engaging um, and it's it's unfortunately very very common with this film where you go oh it's a uh, you know a bit a bit hokey, but the consistent point I would make is you know see it see the film because this is completely different to, to what you what you've seen before I would say. There's one scene in this where Virginia's searching around the monastery, mm-hmm. and she goes into a room where there's a little staircase but it's too old and broken for her to actually attempt the second step. Uh-huh. And all of the stuff inside that room is filmed from the top of the staircase, so it gives it this kind of strange voyeuristic look. Uh-huh. And then as soon as she goes out the door, probably just because it is in a corridor, it cuts straight back to it being shot from below her. But okay. I thought that that worked really, really well, and it made that particular room just seem like it was more atmospheric. Very cool. Because cool. there are some really nice shots in this. Yep. Like the ring race on horseback, riding at people, mm-hmm. you know, in slow motion. Bit of, yeah, because that's, that's one, of the, one of the key things is that it's always the, the slow motion um, that the, they're always riding in slow motion, and I assumed that that's. Because they're meant uh, to be slow. <laughs> I, that, no, I genuinely do think that that's why. I don't think it's. I, I don't think it's supposed to be an effect. I think it's supposed to be that. Way, that is how they would look if they were riding past you. Yep. Um, which I think is great. It's uh, something that I really enjoyed about the about this one. Yeah, it would be good if they had a a bit where it shows you a person like in the foreground who is reacting to them but in a different speed. Uh-huh. You know, otherwise all you end up with in this film is a lot of the time when you see them on horseback, it just suddenly cuts to slow motion. Yeah, it's inconsistent <laughs> because the, the lassie's riding a slow motion, like a dead horse as well. And uh, and then she's being chased by... She's slow as well, so Because she escapes I, from the monastery by jumping on a dead horse. Uh-huh, sure. Um, so, I mean, this is the one that's got Pedro in it, right? Yes, I like the way that you have to check. This is your film selection. Well, you you know that these are quite. I mean, you you. We'll talk about that later, but you know that they're quite similar films. It's filthy all over again. As as we're getting, it's it's no filthy. It's no filthy. Filthy's mad ideas are. uh, He at least he at least had two very very different films, despite the fact that. It's just the the madness just melds into yeah. Into one, no, I mean one, like one our, beautiful moment. I mean like when we did the Gates of Hell trilogy. Yeah, those, one those night. three those three films were just like that. That that's 
that's like an thought. That's like an experiment that you should try on, <laughs> try on people or something to, to see. No, it's the sort of experiment you should be arrested for trying on people. <laughs> Anyone that ever turns up at a party and says, "Hey, I've got the Gates of Hell trilogy. We should watch this." Okay. That okay. person. So you to text me and ask like, "Who's Pedro?" And I was like, "Well, Pedro is the son of the the Templar expert expert from the university, and he's running some kind yeah. of drug cartel out of Bolzano and uh, relying on the legend of the blind dead to uh, to keep people away." And, and I it... figured out why I didn't know. Why? Because when I rewatched it, I realized that there was like four to five minutes where I must have just fallen asleep. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. I I don't think you missed much with the Pedro scenes, to be fair. Well, it was the, after... Uh, I think that was a reason for nudity. There's nudity in this film, isn't there? there I don't remember. There is, and that's one of the things... I think that, that was one of the, the... shoehorned moments. Well, that's one of the big differences between the, the two different edits, really. Mm. is, uh, well, we'll have to explain who Pedro is first, because after she escapes on horseback... I think I've given a pretty clear synopsis of who Pedro is. All right, but anyway, after she escapes, she escapes Uh on horseback, and then they find her anyway, and Mm -hmm. just kill her in their Mm -hmm. vampiric way, (laughs) and then just leave her in the field. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. the next day, the same train goes past, and they look, and they go, oh, yeah, well, we'll sort that out later. Because mm-hmm. in the English dub, he when the alarm goes, he says, we're, we're just not stopping here. Ah. He says, no, not in this area. So there you go. You know, it's like the, the train is a weird thing. It's just these two guys that keep going back and forth, and you keep expecting them to start doing like some Abbott and Costello stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they never do. So should we do any kind of spoilery elements as to the kind of the, the the kind of most you know the most the most significant aspect of this film or not? I think we could tell people everything that happens in this film. And okay, would, yeah, it's not a problem. Would, and they would have to watch it to actually check that we weren't lying to them. Okay, so <laughs> I have to say that my memory of this. Uh, this this ending is a lot better than when I actually watched <laughs> when I when I watched it back I was slightly disappointed because I'd built it up in my head as being like this epic conclusion. Um What bit did you think was the epic conclusion when they finally meet up with Pedro? No. Are you high? No. I mean like I just thought when you said epic, epic conclusion. conclusion. Uh uh-huh. the epic conclusion of course as the Bolzano train massacre. All oh, right, now see you skipped the bit the that I thought was a, an important point between the two edits. What was that? It's a uh, see when It'll be when when Pedro let a match and the 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 fourteenth scene. No. Right. Okay. It's uh... surprise me. Surprise me. It's the in the UK dubbed version. Pedro uh-huh. doesn't rape. Betty. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, but the way it's been cut, uh-huh. it makes it... Also, the way the the words have been changed, it makes it look more like a, she's... She's uh, maybe a bit attracted to Pedro, but she's going, oh, I haven't loved a man ever. You know, just <laughs> reinforcing the... 
her and Veronica. Veronica? Mm-hmm. Yep, that relationship. But in the Spanish version, that sex scene goes on way too long and is way too brutal. Oh, uh-huh, sure. And then she runs back to the other two, and when they ask where Pedro is, she just says, oh, I left him there. She doesn't say, fuck Pedro, he just raped me. Yeah, yeah. Which I, when I was watching, because I watched the dubbed version first, I mean, I watched the Spanish version, I was thinking, why the hell is this in here? Mm-hmm. What's going on with that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, sure. there, by the end of the film, there wasn't really anybody in it that I wanted to survive. No, that's right. Sure, <laughs> sure. There's no real nice characters in this film, is No, there? no particularly, no. No. Like, no. Roger's a wee bit, well, just always a wee bit sleazy. Yep. And like when they when those two couples split up and that scene's happening, Pedro's girlfriend is coming on to Roger. Uh huh. And I think that I mentioned on like post on Facebook or something when I was watching this film that every time people meet, do they just want to try and shag each other? Because uh-huh. that's the way it seems. It was odd. Yeah. But then again, again, it's a it's a film of its time in a lot of respects, and it's uh, mm. it's important to remember the the kind of the context as well. It's kind of it's it's within the context of the films that are coming out at that time, and you know, it's I, I get what you're saying, and it's, it's it, unbelievable it's, characters, really. Well, and then the thing is, the the themes of kind of violence against women and so on are kind of all too loosely used, uh, and. In this film, I think, and yeah. it's kind of, um, yeah. From what I remember, there's there's a lot of uh, rape sequence in the second one as well. I don't uh, remember. I don't remember. I anyway, don't so, remember. so again, it's 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 too loosely used, I think, mm-hmm. and it's uh, used just for, uh, you know, not necessarily for for good reasons, more kind of exploitative reasons. Yeah. But uh, again, it's within the context of the, the time and the, the, the kind of attitudes that were prevalent. I think there's only one woman that has a significant number of lines in this film that doesn't almost get used in that way. Uh-huh, sure. And I think that's the, the one that works for Veronica. Sure. Yep. Because we didn't even mention Veronica does come back as a zombie and goes back to her workplace. Right, right. <laughs> so, what are they doing in this film? Seriously. <laughs> no idea. It's one of the strangest films I've ever seen. Did it, you enjoy it? Not really, no. <laughs> but I have watched it three times now. Uh-huh, okay. It's strange because you, you have these these bits where you think this is great this looks really nice but then there's so many things working against it uh-huh. I think like the almost complete lack of character development okay. that you have for anyone uh-huh. is off-putting in any film Sure. and then the effects kind of keep dragging you out of it uh-huh. and then the the scenes when you do have the blind dead they're, they are so slow that you just think why aren't people just walking away from them yeah because they are really slow I, I've, I, I've just remembered the Virginia's place of business and when you were saying that I she was makes thinking, mannequins yeah. out, she, she, she makes, out next to the old graveyard no no it's not even just that it's 
It's next to a morgue, and it's also next to a red flashing light factory. <laughs> is it? Uh huh. Does he make a comment like, "Why? Why is that red flashing light happening there?" It's like, "Oh, the guy next door makes red flashing lights." <laughs> and it's just like, "Oh, is that in, that's the uh-huh. Spanish one?" Oh uh-huh, yeah. It's the one so that it's I like, only once. so it's like next to the morgue and next to the red flashing light factory is this creepy mannequin maker um, that that she happens to work for, which I think is just brilliant. Well, she owns well. In... And, well, yeah, absolutely. But you know what I mean. She she trained in Paris and blah blah blah. <laughs> she she's... trained in Paris to make some really bad looking mannequins. To make creepy mannequins next to a morgue. <laughs> yes. If that doesn't say this person deserves to die, nothing does. Anyway, so yes, would it be a recommend, Gil? Given everything we've said, uh, I think if you can put up with it it's a recommend like if if you hear us talking about it and you think well i'm intrigued then yeah check it out if you hear us talking about it and think that sounds absolutely dire check out the first like 15 minutes (laughs) yeah absolutely would you i mean would you recommend one version over the other would you recommend the spanish version over the well the the dubbed version is shorter Uh uh-huh so it is, it misses out the rape, it rearranges a couple of scenes and trims some of the fat off those scenes as well. Sure. But also watch it on, like, like 1.5 speed. Right, okay, uh-huh. And even then, the blind dead still really <laughs> slow. Right. Um, and the, the, the other thing to notice, obviously, the DVD version that, that we've uh, got as released by Blue Underground. It's part of the Coffin Box set. Um, with that, it comes with, uh, I mean, the, the English language version as the poorer of the two in terms of quality. Yeah. The Spanish language version is very good quality, very clear, very bright. Uh, the English language is a kind of dull, dull, uh, darker uh, version of the film um just in terms of the of how the how the video is presented on the on the blue on the dvd rather i think it kind of D- works better did you manage to check out any of the dvd there's only really one dvd extra that came with it did you manage to get a look at that yes that's the revenge of planet ape extra. the revenge of planet ape <laughs> which is rather amazing um, which is basically... You know you nearly uh, broke me with these films. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, an unscrupulous uh, drive-in owner, or a inventive drive-in owner, rather, um, wanting to cash in on the uh, success of Planet of the Apes, wanted to cash in on the fact that the blind dead look a wee bit like monkeys. Uh, they don't in any way at all. If you squint a bit, they look a bit like monkeys. Yeah, and uh, if you squint a bit, I look like fucking Brad Pitt. <laughs> so anyway, wanted to cash in on that, so they hastily added this kind of um, introduction that said that basically this uh, this is a prequel to Planet of the Apes. Um, check it out. It's really good. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> It makes no sense whatsoever. It makes no sense at so it's, all. It's an interesting week, curio, if nothing else. Oh. I was I was amused by it. Yeah. 
Something, anyway, something okay, had so, to be. <laughs> so, so we'll take a short break there and we'll be back to discuss Revenge of the Blind Dead. Revenge of the Evil Dead, Attack of the Blind Dead, all of those and more. In the not too distant future, Hello, have you ever heard of MSK3000? Yeah, well, we ain't them. But we are movie fans who like to drink and talk shit about our favorite movies. So join me, your host Nudie, along with my co-host Jake the Snake, and special guest stars as we dissect our favorite, or maybe not so favorite movies, on the NFW Podcast, otherwise known as No Fucking Way. You can catch us on Heartophilia and also at NFW underscore podcast on Twitter or NFW podcast at yahoo.com. Okay, guys, we're back. So uh, just uh, kind of small uh, addendum to our previous uh, comments. Um, the... Blind Dead film, uh, Tombs of the Blind Dead, was reissued. It seems by the distri- some distributor, uh, who, uh, and you can actually see posters from Texas and Augusta, and all sorts of different places uh, across the U.S. where it was released as uh, Revenge from Planet Ape, and they've used like uh, a kind of, I don't know if it's just like a Planet of the Apes picture whether they've incorporated some of the Templar Knights um, into the picture it's kind of hard to see but it says see apes rise from their graves to destroy man in a battle that survives death um, revenge from planet <laughs> ape February uh, Friday February 16th 1977 and that's in San Antonio uh, and then there's a similar one from uh, Cinema Centre in Waterville and the Turnpike Mall Cinema uh, Western Avenue Augusta so yeah uh, it seems that it played um, in a number of a number of uh, different places as Revenge from Planet Ape which is just insane but there you go. And Escape from Planet Ape as well. Bizarre. That is bizarre. That's very strange indeed. But there you go. <laughs> okay, um, so yes. Uh, oh, also issued with a vomit bag, would you believe? Um, this vomit bag and the price of one admission will enable you to see t- Tomb of the Blind Dead, the most <laughs> horrifying film ever made. So there you go. <laughs> There's nothing so, horrifying in this at all. <laughs> Absolutely nothing horrifying in it. So, uh, we're turning to return to Revenge of the Blind. What's this one? Reve- return Re- of... Re- return-, return of the Evil Dead. Evil Dead, Dead yes. So my apologies. Um, so, this is from 1973. Um, and... Yeah. Um... So this, this, one, this one is written and directed again by Amando de Osorio. Um, so, uh, synopsis 500 years after they were blinded and executed for committing human sacrifices, a band of Templar knights returns from the grave to terrorize a rural Portuguese village during its centennial celebration. Being blind, the Templars find their. What? How can it be their centennial? Is it their 500th? 
the fifth uh-huh. centennial. Right, okay, fair enough. Being blinded, the Templars find their victims through sound, usually the screams of their victims. Taking refuge in a deserted cathedral, a small group of people must find their way to escape from the creatures. A deserted cathedral? It's just a house, is it not? Well, you can't have a deserted cathedral filled with people. Uh-huh, fair enough. Especially since the cathedral's in the middle of a non-deserted town. Uh-huh. Would that mean that the cathedral had to be cordoned off? <laughs> oh, but it... we don't go down the old cathedral much these days. It's haunted. Yes, okay. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so this takes place in Buzano, not Berzano. Buzano. That's because um, they're having a party, so they have more booze to change the name. Absolutely, well, that makes sense. Still in Portugal, but this time it's a thriving community. Um, and uh, they're having their celebration. And as part of that celebration, there is a kind of Guy Fawkes type uh, ritual um, whereby kids and families and so on get together to burn the effigies of the blind dead. Um so as part of that, the, they have fireworks. Um, it's very similar to, to, to what we, we in the UK have on uh, the 5th of November. Um, yep. Or Guy Fawkes Night. Although they do it better because they have a kind of continental-style farmer's market as well. Ah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, I've all the West End hipster girl. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I, get... I was just thinking it would be so much better if on Guy Fawkes night you could go out and you could buy yourself some nice continental sausage, a bit of exotic cheese. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Yeah, absolutely. Have it by the bonfire. Um, so so enter uh, Jack Marvel, um, a tough-talking former cop turned fireworks expert. <laughs> um <laughs> He's so into safety that he and his men just kind of stand in the middle of all the fireworks as they're going off. <laughs> I think that they only did that in that scene to reinforce the idea that they work with fireworks or just to remind you. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> they're just standing like five feet away from him. Those big fireworks being shot into the sky. So this, this fireworks expert um, is the former lover of the 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 mayor of Bilzano's uh, current wife, or fiance, or fiance. I don't know. I don't remember which. I th- I think it is. Yeah, is it a fiance when... or future fiance. Yeah, yeah. On on the cusp. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so she's kind of pulled some strings to bring him here and fake some references and blah 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 to get him here on this night. Um, and uh, at, the, at the same time, we have a character who resembles Stephen King, uh, Stephen King slash Frank McAvaney. Um, <laughs> Where's our buds? Uh huh. Um, so it's kind of a mixture of those two uh, characters, those two fictional characters, <laughs> um, and he is basically intent on. Uh, bringing the lost skeleton to life, rather the sorry, the uh, evil dead to life. Oh, um, and it's Gallagher. <laughs> it's what? Sorry, it's no Gallagher. 
Noel Gallagher. Um, so Noel Gallagher is keen to bring these, bring the for the the blind dead back to life, and so that he can serve them and and rule alongside them, and and show the people who had been cruel to him in the town. Because um, when's that ever backfired in a movie or fairy tale? Yeah, exactly. So in in this case, the the um the 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 evil dead uh, rise up and decide to uh, ignore lay, ignore Renfield Gallagher. Oh, uh-huh, and lay siege uh, to the town. That sounds very continental. It does. It does. Lay um, siege. <laughs> huh. So, uh, yeah, so I mean, that kind of gives you an idea of what, what we're dealing with in the first part. And obviously we've, we've made reference to the fact that the the small group of, uh, you know, of people who, who are, are surviving... Well, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, um, so, yeah, so the, 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 the townsfolk are having this party and he raises the blind dead from the dead. Um, By and- killing a local girl? Just by making a sacrifice that we don't even know how he got a hold of or anything, mm-hmm. you know, it just suddenly cuts to a scene of him sacrificing a young girl. Uh huh. And you're like, well, he he was in the previous scene. Uh huh. You know, it goes from a scene where he's being all kind of nicey nicey and you know, obviously trying to hide the fact that he's a crazed psycho intent on raising zombies from the grave and ruling the world with them. Mm-hmm. And then just straight into a scene where he's got like this twenty-year-old or whatever he's just stabbing to death. Mm-hmm. It just seemed bizarre. <laughs> okay, so did it not seem bizarre to you? <laughs> no, things seem bizarre to me. Um, <laughs> although I, I think this was a far far better film. Um, it is. Um, uh, I mean, what the, the, the so this character, um, the, one of the kind of key things that I'll point out just now, and one of my kind of main criticisms of the film, um, sorry, this is unstructured, but I think it's kind of probably structured as, as these things need to be. Um, uh, one of the kind of main criticisms I would suggest is the reuse of footage, and this film, um is is quite off-putting. Um, I don't know if it's the kind of thing that you'd notice if you were going and seeing a film like two years later when this was released in like 1973, um, but the reuse of footage is, is significant. Um, there's, there's sequences that are uh, that are direct lifts, so they're, they're similar shots that have been re, uh, remade with different actors and uh, so on, but there are also direct lifts uh, from the first film and particularly with the sequences of the blind dead rising from the grave. Um, it's particularly, once you've noticed it, it's quite frustrating because you, you're seeing this character doing the acting is reacting thing and just uh, just reacting embarrassingly to, yeah. uh, to the blind dead, um, you know, rising from the graves. Um, well, of course, because he should have been, he should have actually been uh, reacting entirely differently. Anyway, because uh-huh. he must have had some idea that... Yeah, what they that, were, absolutely. When, also, but he must have known when they, since he's doing this to try and, you know, team up with them, mm-hmm. he should have... You wouldn't... 
just figure out how to raise someone from the dead without knowing how to raise them from the dead and be your pal. Uh-huh. Not if it's like a bunch of crazed, blind Knights Templars. Uh-huh. It just seems odd that he would actually be scared. He just seems like he's... It makes it seem like he's just randomly killed a girl. Uh-huh. For no real reason. Oh, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's it's clear why, but I mean, it's it, it's again the, the 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 reuse of footage here is clumsy, and particularly since there seems to there seems to have been a, a lot more of a budget going into this. I don't know mm. if it's it, it seems it seems you know a bigger film. Um, it seems odd that some of the some of the choices that they've made in terms of you know the blind dead are obviously there they're obviously being used there's people dressed as the blind dead and they've obviously worked stuff out from that side but they've reused footage and key key points when you could almost you know you could you could use actors you've got guys you know dressed up yeah in a place um, that either is the same place or looks or like the same looks place. very very similar so why why not just uh, re- redo the, that footage but to, um, see, to be honest I didn't really notice the reuse of footage uh-huh. that much fair, I mean that's fair enough it might be a repeated a... watch thing I uh-huh. think what do you mean? it might be something that you like you only pick up on yeah, yeah. after you're a bit I, I, more I, familiar I don't know I think I watched them in quite quick succession girls so like, mm-hmm. to, like to, you know twi- like one after the other almost like one, one, one night one the other night so it was you know, quite obvious where they had used stuff and where it was, you know, where where it was kind of similar but reused. Um, but they didn't reuse like so much that it became totally off-putting, though. They did they, for that that sequence. I really, I was yeah, but that's, that's just the one sequence. It's just the one sequence. So obviously, it's no 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 that much I can say. Um, moving on, obviously, we get to the Bolzano. Uh, there's a there's a major massacre uh, that takes place at the or it's supposed to be a major massacre that takes place and at the celebration where the blind dead besiege the the town. Um, and a group of survivors uh, managed to escape. So the the mayor and one of his lackeys, um, who else? Jack Marvel and yep. uh, the mayor's fiance. Um, there's a woman and her daughter. So there's a family, there's a family right? There's, yeah. Yeah, there's... so it's... Um, and that's pretty much it, I think. I don't think there's, yeah. there's too many more. So, I mean, that's quite good. And, and it's the, mayor's obvious la- that... the mayor's lackey and uh, uh-huh. Barlow have... Uh-huh. Uh, they don't... It's not like they hate each other, but the lackey's kind of been told that he has mm-hmm. to dislike this guy anyway. Although mm-hmm. there are inklings of a grudging respect at one point that then get forgotten in the next scene. Mm-hmm. I noticed that it was that mm-hmm. kind of like, I think they were trying to paint the idea that the two of them were both kind of ex-military. Mm-hmm. So when uh, Barlow did something that helped everybody the other guy was kind of like that was well done you did a good job i liked your tactics and then uh-huh. like in the next couple of scenes he's still going yeah i've got to kill you <laughs> uh-huh sure sure so yeah so i mean obviously this is very very heavily influenced by night the living dead and and i'm on um the the director uh amando de Osorio has has said um and interviews that, uh, that that this was was influenced by um, by Night the Living Dead. Um, 
so it's obviously this kind of uh, you know besieged. I'm using the word besieged thoughts, but <laughs> uh, you, you know what I mean. They're they're, they're under pressure with they're under fire within one location, and yeah. they're trying to find a way out. I mean, it's even got like the Molotov cocktail was being thrown from the, the top window and blah blah blah. Um, I think I think what this does quite well is that it emphasizes their blindness. Um, it emphasizes that as a plot point and yeah. makes it makes it into something more interesting. The fact that they can't see you, that they, they, they if you don't move and you don't make a sound, they, and, and the first film does that as well. There's a sequence with the heart clumsily. beating and so on. It, yeah, it, clumsily, it, but... Like, so clumsily that it's that the character has noticed that they're blind. Uh-huh. But at no point does the film make it clear to you what she's noticed, because while she's noticed that they're blind... She's also hiding from them and yep. not looking at them. So there's yep. there's nothing where you you're even given like a visual connection apart from when it just suddenly pans in on her chest and you yep. can hear the heartbeat. And then you're but supposed to go, oh yeah, well, wouldn't they be hearing that heartbeat? Sure. And I mean, the, the second film makes a much clearer uh, point at the start, and it's a, a tighter edit for that reason. I mean, obviously, presumably the English dubbed version was influenced by the second film, mm-hmm. and having the sacrifice sequence right at the start, um, the, the, the this film starts off with the sacrifice of the Virgin by the Knights Templar, and then the townsfolk taking revenge against the blind dead, and explaining very clearly you shall never return to this place and blah 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 we're going to burn out your eyes so that you can't find it and um, then you, you hear them going we shall return we shall return <laughs> um, and it's, it's good it's a dramatic uh, start to the film and gives you an idea of what to expect in terms of uh, in terms of the film itself and it also sets the precedent for the fact that they are blind yeah. um, and, and and gives a, a, a bit of that as Some well. shocking effects in that sequence as well. Oh no absolutely <laughs> so the, the, the fire's nice, nice Templars bad. being set on fire and not moving because there's nobody in that fire Sure Sure but you get the idea, and it get, tells you tells you what you need to know, um, which is always important in films, and particularly in B pictures, where it's yeah. you, you need to have a clear narrative, and you you don't. I think this film does delivers on that side of things a lot better than the first one. Um, but you could almost switch the two films around, to be honest, because there's so little between the films that. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's absolutely there's no... nothing that says this film happens before that one, so you could probably actually watch Return of the Blind Dead as the first film and then watch The Blind Dead and maybe get that film a bit more because this mm-hmm. film actually puts all the background work in that the first film completely lacks. Sure. So, I mean, this, this film does also have more instances where The Blind Dead are involved in it and where you get to see them more. Um I, I again, I mean, the the first film has its own merits in the sense that it's got a lot more of that kind of open uh, Portuguese countryside or Spanish countryside. Wherever they filmed it, it's a Spanish film. Uh, everyone speaks Spanish. They did uh, film so, some of it in been... Portugal, no? So yeah, so either way, I mean, it's it, the first film's got its merits in the sense that it's got a lot more of those kind of rolling sequences, um, and and the kind of more hammery gothic stuff. The second film. 
um, is a, a much uh, kind of darker piece in in some respects, and and has those elements of Night of the Living Dead, and has those elements of, um, you know, other similar stuff. Um, I mean, just just for the for the point of view of um, the the sequences with the family, for example, and the and the cathedral, yeah. um, we're we're kind of given we're 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 showing and and again coming back to themes of Night of the Living Dead is is about like you know the character traits within the people within of the people within the house. Everyone's got their own agenda. Yeah. Everyone's got their own reason for doing certain things and acting in a certain way, which is kind of a big part in Night of the Living Dead's genius. Is is transposed really really well into this film. Um, so you've got the mayor and his lackey who are who've got their own narrative, they won't read of Ro- the of I'm I was about to say Roger. Uh, of <laughs> Jack Jack Marvel. They won't read of him so that uh, you know, so that they can uh, so that his wife or his fiance won't leave him. Um, at the same time they are trying to survive and trying to find their own way out. Yeah, they just uh, want out they don't want to help the town that they're supposed to uh-huh. and they have they're, responsibilities they're, for. At the same time they're acting very um you know they're acting very callously, and they they actually make a sacrifice of uh, which obviously has nice parallels with the kind of sacrifices that the blind dead themselves are making uh, for selfish reasons and for eternal life. The mayor yeah. makes the mayor makes sacrifices uh, to preserve his own life, which is a kind of clever um, thing. So he sacrifices the family by telling them different lies. Uh, to to play on their own motivations, so the father is told that you know that he can help them to escape and he can help his family to escape when he knows that he's basically going to die, and he traps the father uh, and and attracts the blind dead to the the father, and then sacrifices the little girl by telling her to call out for her dad, knowing that the blind dead will be able well, to hear her. It doesn't really sacrifice her though. It do, so, doesn't successfully sacrifice. It doesn't her. successfully, but yeah. he tries. Tries to, yeah. He tries to, and she. And then the mother sacrifices herself. So again, it's uh, you know interesting from that side, um, leading up to the kind of a very good ending, I would say, a very tense ending um, that that works incredibly well, um, and the the isn't at all what I expected it to do. I think the film works in in that sense and that it doesn't it doesn't have any cheap pops at the end. It's it's just an incredibly tense moment and it's It's got uh, a nice scene at the end with plays fantastic it plays fantastically well. It's um, a bit slow getting to the end though. I think there's a bit of lag in the middle. But right, when, okay. when it gets to that end but outside the cathedral and you've got all the the blind dead just kind of standing there motionless and then mm-hmm. the Roger Barlow I'll just call mm-hmm. him because the, the two male leads basically are almost interchangeable in these films sure but when he's wandering between the blind dead I thought that was a, a really nice effect it was like uh, at the end of Aliens when Ripley's going through the eggs but again, the the point, the the great thing is that it's well, exactly. That's a great example is the fact that you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know whether one of the blind dead is going to, you know, turn around and grab them, or I mean, our assumption is that they are, 
they're blind. They can. They're trying to be very quiet so that they don't wake up, and so that they don't. Sorry, so that they don't um, reach out and grab them, and so that they don't attack them. But in actual fact, which is where the ones on horseback fall down. Because yeah. how, how do they hear anything? Yeah, fair enough. But I mean, the 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 kind of twist of that is, and I don't know if it's yeah. Is it worth us just saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, the the, the twist is that they've basically been rendered inactive by the fact that the sun's come up. Yeah. Um, so they, they, the the whole end sequence is this very tense moment and you're, you're just waiting, just waiting on the, the, them to make some mistake and for them to grab them and for it all to turn into... But in actual fact, um, they, they've been wandering through uh, motionless, uh, you know, immobile... Um, blind, blind dead? dead templars <laughs> and it's, it's fantastic it's a great sequence and and you know really really worth your time and i'd say that if you were only going to see one film from from these two i would say definitely check out return of the evil dead um yeah so it's, it's titled return of the evil dead if you're looking for it online or, um, or watch both of them but i think there's, i think order. i'll be honest man i think there's value in, in buying both and you can get like a collector's edition that's got both uh, both films, the 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 box set that we own as uh, the the Blind Dead. It's all four films. It's got an additional disc with um, a documentary about about Amanda Desorio. Um, so and a five and a half hour reel of just the Blind Dead walking from one side of a room to the other. <laughs> but very good. But yes, um, they couldn't catch a cold. They couldn't. They could know it, but uh, apparently, uh, apparently the uh, Blind Dead, um, the Blue Underground have put out definitive versions as of two thousand and fourteen. Um, definitive is, about them? I don't know, but it's a. I believe it's an upgrade on the the previous version which I've got. I believe my box set is from two thousand and five ish. So they've, um, they've probably just uh, <laughs> changed the audio on the. I, I don't. I don't think there'll be much. There'll be much that's changed, but I mean, we'll, we can certainly look into that and advise yeah. our dear friends. Um, okay, guys. Well, um, we'll have a short break there, and then we'll be back uh, to close out the show. Hey, cherish. It's eight o'clock. Is it time to get the show on the screen or what? Do you enjoy watching films with friends? Do you like to consume vats of alcohol? It's the 40s and some bitches, baby, yeah! Me? I like beer. If you like all that and none of those artsy-fartsy films... Does this mean we don't get to go to the Fellini Festival? Fuck the Fellini Festival! Then watch and listen to Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. Every Wednesday, myself and a rotating panel of the filthiest podcasters I can muster up give you our comments, observations, and sometimes we might actually talk about the film as we class up some of your favorite films the only way we know how. As raunchy as we can. What's this movie, PG? Oh, yeah. This podcast sure is fucking. Not only do you get the audio, but the video that goes with it. Just listen to the shit that comes out of these filthy pirates. <laughs> you don't need to get an erection when your cock's full of rigor mortis. <laughs> fucking curb stomp a baby for a bacon. <laughs> I think the moral of the story is don't let Corky run Cerebro. Unforgivable. If you could stand all that... Come and get your fill and your fix of Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. All the cool kids are doing it. Two Drink Minimum Commentaries is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. 
Okay, guys, um, and we're back. Uh, just a quick kind of update on the uh, Blind Dead box set, if anyone's interested in picking it up. Blue Underground offer both the Coffin box set at $60 uh, just now. It's quite a package, so it's kind of the, the kind of thing, if you're ordering from the UK, it's going to attract import tax and the whole shebang, so it's probably not worth uh, doing that unless you can get it within the UK. Um uh, Are you more, proud of me? There's a more affordable. You, you just option. said it's quite a package. I know you did. And, you, I, and, you I, it. and I didn't say that's what she said. I know, absolutely, absolutely. The uh, the version that was released last year is pretty much identical. It's just a four disc version. It's called the Blind Dead Saga. Um, rather than the, having the fifth disc, which is the the documentary it leaves that off and it doesn't have the 42 page booklet um, but everything else is the same and that's 30 dollars so it might be a more affordable option and you're probably more likely to get that in the uk still probably region one um but nevertheless worth a look so you can actually, I'm just seeing you can get the Complete Blind Dead Saga on DVD just now, Region 1, for 12 quid. That's, that's worth it. I'll do fine, yep. Yeah, so Gil, you were saying that you maybe wanted to close out the show just talking about the Kirk Bain documentaries that have come out recently. Um, the, the, you know, the two most recent ones being... Montage uh, of Heck. Montage of Heck and... Uh, what's the other title? Soaked in Bleach. Soaked in Bleach, sure. Um, which title do you prefer? <laughs> which title? Do, well, probably Soaked in Bleach. Yeah, because uh, Montage um, of Heck is the worst name for anything ever. It's a pretty terrible title. It is awful. Um, yeah, uh, so Montage of Heck is directed by Brent Morgan. Um, it's basically a documentary that compiles audio f- it's a montage it's exactly what it is it, contact, it uses um, reels and reels of personal tapes interviews uh, then reenacted sequences reenacted docudrama really contact, uh, cartoon elements interviews with the key players people like uh, Courtney Love um, Chris Novoselic Wendy O'Connor uh, who else? There's a few like Kurt's friends and family, and yeah. uh, Tracy Miranda, various people who knew the man, and a lot of the same to... people that you get across all the documentaries about them. Really, I think I think this one's kind of different. Um, if you if you've seen other kind of Kurt Cobain content and other other documentaries, I think this presents a different story. And I think what they're trying to do and what what. Uh, Brett Morgan has has probably quite successfully done has presented a, a different narrative to the one that's that's most commonly uh, associated with Kurt Cobain. Um, but it is also worth noting that this is just their narrative. Well, that's that's what you think, uh uh-huh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a narrative that they are imposing upon the story the, because the, who are the the director does when they the. They're looking at a long period in someone's life uh-huh. and they're selecting key points to make into a series of vignettes. Uh-huh. Then sure. their editorial process automatically puts 
whatever bent they want. Mm -hmm. It's things that appear elsewhere that are being used. And then also even just in the choice of the the style of animation Mm -hmm. and everything like... uh, We did talk about this before, but then we cut it out because we thought, well, we're going to have the chance to see Soaked and Bleach as well, so let's combine the two. And... Uh, Buzz Osborne from the Melvins uh-huh. watched Montage of Heck twice uh-huh. and then bas- basically wrote a long piece about how it is a story because this person is using... They're basically picking the folk tales uh, uh-huh. about Kurt Cobain. Uh-huh. The whole print the legend thing. Uh, and I mean, I, I totally get what Buzz Osborne is, is saying and I mean, obviously, in terms of... Uh, who's the more reliable person and who who's more likely to have a very clear and lucid view of any of these matters. Yeah. It's like like likely to be it's more likely to be him than it is to be uh well say for talking sake, um Dylan Carlson or yeah. whoever whoever else. I mean there's people within that who you would say, well they're more likely to be a more reliable witness or they're more likely to be have a clearer view of things for a variety of reasons. Um and a lot of those are chemical. Um but, <laughs> uh, but I mean in terms of the film itself, I think what what it very successfully does is it presents those stories without comment. It presents those stories and we're not supposed to take everything at face value. We're not yeah. supposed that we're supposed to be critical of it. Um and particularly I mean the one of the kind of things I mentioned this before, Gal, and uh, again it's it's like I mean, there's the interview with Courtney Love where 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 she's saying you know he he tried to kill himself in Rome and the reason for that was because he telepathically knew that I was thinking about sleeping with somebody else. Yeah. Um, well, so it's, I mean, it's been long known that actually no, I won't even bother. <laughs> she's litigious. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I mean, uh, what's what's within that is obviously there's that that comment where she's, where where Courtney Love is saying, you know, that that that, that this was telepathic, this was a telepathic uh, understanding between the two of them, or it's kind of suggested that that's what happened. Like uh, Nancy, yes. Oh, that they had a special bond. I mean, that's that's great. And I mean, but, but I mean, what we say is that what well what they're trying what. What the, the the documentary successfully does is it says, well, with it saying as much, it says, well, as the as this you know, is this a narrative that's particularly to be trusted, or is this something that that's there? And then in the background, it also raises questions about was was Kurt Cobain in some way being humiliated? Um, yeah, because this this theme comes through. Uh, and is pressed on a few occasions throughout the documentary. This is a man that hated above all else being embarrassed and being yeah. uh, treated uh, poorly, and, and and hated being uh, being made made fun of or or being being humiliated in some way by someone else's actions. And I mean, yeah. So it, it, it doesn't it. take it doesn't take a great genius to put those two. Desolate facts presented, uh, desperate desperate facts presented uh, presented separately but shoved together to to be able to to jump to to, to some kind of narrative. Um, yeah, and well, I, and there's I think a that, journalist involved. 
and I think well, I know, and I think I think the the Brett Morgan did that really really well, and I think I think it's important to take uh, Buzz uh, Buzz Osborne's comments on board, um, but I think that Brett Morgan managed to managed to do all of that stuff quite well. I think it's yeah. worth looking at, and I I think there's things in it that are very distasteful, and um, you know it's. Uh, as much as it, we we can talk about, um, you know, ripping down heroes and and you know, you know, not uh, not romanticizing people that have died in certain ways. I think there's there's part there's part of that that's that's respectable, but I think the, there's also part of it that's almost a bit voyeuristic and it's a bit too voyeuristic. Yeah. And I think that that's the the elements of this film that I found to be quite, you know, quite quite disappointing um where the where those that can emphasize the the addiction and things that things that would you know would have embarrassed the man himself and i think it's well yeah they, they kind of they do almost seem to make a point of including that in the film to show you like here's the sort of thing that he wouldn't have wanted getting out like when there's uh video footage the is himself and Courtney kind of cutting about their flat and she'll be topless and kind of showing off uh-huh. and it's all being filmed by the guitarist from Hole who is also Courtney's ex-boyfriend. Sure, sure. So I mean I mean there's again there's there's narrative jumps that we can only take with these things. Yeah. But I, I encourage people to get a look at it and to make their own mind up. I would say that a companion piece to this and to the, the other the other film that we're about to talk talk to Nick, as the Nick Bloomfield? No, I was gonna I was gonna actually say the um Gus Van Sant one, uh, last, last days. Last days, yeah. Um, which I found to be, a, a, you know, just a fantastic piece of work. Just purely, um, purely, just kind of looking at this, a, a very similar character, I have to say. Um, <laughs> Even what, down to the jumper. What wandering, wandering around uh, a property that that looks very, very similar, um, and this character. And that's exactly what he is. Is surrounded by horrendous wasters who uh, just basically leech off him and are disgusting parasites. Um, and he's probably married to a disgusting parasite as well. This character um, who doesn't care worth a damn for him. So I would encourage you to watch that film. And it's about a character, uh, and you should you should check it out. But he's played by uh, what's his name, McHandsome from True Blood. Isn't he? Uh, I thought there was Michael Pat, but I'm. Is it Michael Pat? No. Uh, yeah, it's Michael Pat from. Uh, yeah, it's Michael Pat, and he played. He's in Funny Games as well. Yeah, and he's in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Ah, I, yes. I, I thought it was him from True Blood. I don't know. I don't know. But. Uh, yeah, so it's about a rock star who has these kind of parasitic, parasitic characters living around him and obviously not really being particularly bothered about the fact that this person is going through great mental anguish um, and then people are surprised when he, when he, you know, when he kills himself. And it's got, uh, you know, it's got Kim Golden in it uh, playing um, uh, Danny... Uh, what's his name? They're Ian Arman. <laughs> da- is it Danny Goldman? Danny Elfman. I don't. Anyway, yeah, but it's no. It's Danny so, DeVito. 
Yeah. Anyway, it's a, a, playing a kind of similar character, but it's a, it's it's really good, and it's a good companion piece, I think, to this film, and just kind of shows how uh, somebody's life can kind of go in that direction. Probably moving on. I mean, the the other film that we saw was uh, just released uh, to rent um, uh, on the internet. Uh, to via Vimeo, um, and that is uh, that that is soaked in bleach. Um, that is presented around. Uh, it's it's based on the work of Tom Grant, who was uh, he was basically a private detective who was hired uh, by Courtney Love uh, to investigate the disappearance of Kurt Cobain, yep. um, and. Uh, basically, he is a very f- uh, fastidious guy who has recorded every single conversation uh, almost from the beginning of the case onwards. Um, He's like a secret podcaster. He is, he is. Um, and so the the film features um, audio that's been collected by Tom Grant on the scene. Um, he's very fastidious in collecting as much uh, audio as possible throughout the whole investigation it's part of his technique and he has basically collected that and that a lot of that is presented in the film um, in quite an interesting way um, and then combined with uh, footage you know uh, footage of reenactments or retellings of uh, sequences that, that, that happened in real life. And again, this is very much from Tom Grant's recollection and you can take of it, make of it what you will, but starring exceptional character actor, uh, Daniel Roebuck, who regular listeners will know from, uh, of course, Lost. And uh, he played arts and, uh, and lost. He also was in Grumpy Kratz' Worst Christmas Ever, which we reviewed uh, recently. Yeah. And relevant to uh, our future endeavors, he was in uh, A Dark and Stormy Night, the Larry Blamire film um, that we reviewed way back in episode 30. Um, so uh, Dan uh, Daniel Roebuck plays Tom Grant in the film and it's got reenactments with a Courtney Love lookalike and uh, a Dylan Car- uh, Carlson, uh, a, someone portraying Dylan Carlson. Um, and at the same time, that's interspersed with interviews with a number of uh, criminologists and re- retired police detectives, forensic experts and so on. And people, people who, who were involved in, in the case. And, so, some who and were, people who, some were ex- who are experts in fields which may be in question as a part of the case. Sure. So again, it's it's, it's an interesting uh, look, and it, it basically starts off from the assumption that Kurt Cobain was was murdered, um, and that this is has been wrongly and too speedily labelled as a suicide. Um, that Kurt Cobain was never uh, never suicidal, um, and makes makes a lot of kind of makes a case on that basis, presenting presenting what it terms as evidence and a forensic discussion of particular aspects of the case. And yeah. it's a, it's certainly an interesting an interesting watch. Um Nick Broomfield's documentary uh Cotton Courtney touched on a lot of this stuff. Um but this is a far more in depth uh discussion. Yeah. Nick Nick uh Broomfield's uh Cotton Courtney actually gets corrected in it this does. as well. That's right. 
does. But I mean, it, Tom Grant's always kind of maintained that he's got a, a, a good degree of respect for Nick Broomfield in his in his film, um, and and what he actually put out there. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily reflected in this film, but certainly mm. in the and everything that he's said publicly, um, it does. Well, I think respect Broomfield's work. Yeah, I think that the problem is maybe the. Nick Broomfield spent a bit of time with Tom Grant sure. and then went off to chase these other ideas that were maybe a bit fantastical. Like, uh, who was the the guy that said that he'd been paid 50,000, that he'd been offered 50,000 by Courtney to kill Kurt? Oh, El Ducci? Yeah, yeah. Who is basically living in a trailer surrounded by dogs and dog shit. And mm-hmm. kind of suggesting that he would talk more if they bought him a beer. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's the sort... And one of Courtney's ex-boyfriends, who's uh, clearly bitter throughout the interview, uh-huh. and then goes off onto a rant because she'd said something about his ability at sex or something. Okay. So again, there's a compare and contrast right there in the sense that you think about how... Uh, El Duce was presented in Cotton Courtney. Yeah. And then you think about how the information is presented in uh, Montage of Heck. And I would suggest that the information presented in Montage of Heck is presented far more critically than in a film that wasn't sanctioned <laughs> by... <laughs> and that was actually tried to be suppressed, you know? and Or, or, or it might not have been, I don't know. But anyway, a, no, a film that's not sanctioned um, is actually... Prese- the information is presented possibly more critically uh, in, in Montage of Heck than it was in a, a film that, that's, that's possibly... or pertains to be more critical. Yeah. I mean, I I re-watched Kurt and Courtney last mm. week. Sure. And I did... Because that's on Netflix. A whole lot of those uh, films are... Yeah. It's on Amazon. It's in one of them, um, along with the likes of Fetishes and uh, the Heidi Fleisch one and the, a whole lot of them are up there now. Yeah. I, I found that I started to, to find the he himself might actually be one of the biggest stumbling blocks to them making a good documentary. Sure. Because there's... I don't know what it is, but there's something about even just the way he does his narration. Sure. It it almost kind of puts me off, the stuff that he does. Okay. He's got this sort of lilt to his voice that makes it sound like he's already decided what the story is. And if he doesn't find that story in the time for the documentary, then his dissemination of everything he's done previously will be like it is in Curtin Courtney, where it's like, oh, well, we never really found out anything, whatever. Uh And if he manages to prove his point, then it's... It's all to the good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think he he tries to come across as a kind of disarming, affable character, whereas in actual fact he's not. Like the fact that the Kurt and Courtney documentary basically ends with a point where he got dressed up in a tuxedo to basically go up and stand on a stage and perform the last scene for his documentary, mm-hmm. not to be making a speech that had any actual impact 
or resonance at the event he was at because he basically stands up on stage and wants to talk about why Courtney doesn't want to talk about why Kurt might have been killed. Uh-huh. And you're just thinking, well, yeah, you're really, you're not going to get, like, an invitation for a sit-down interview from this. Yeah. He's just doing that because he knows that he doesn't have an end to his documentary. No, exactly. Well, fair enough. Whereas fair enough. this documentary seems like it could have been a long time in the making. Because yep. the amount of hours of tapes that they must have gone through. And the the one thing that maybe lets it down. And, mm-hmm. and maybe like one of the easiest ways for people to say, oh, well, yeah, I don't believe that, is mm-hmm. that we have all these scenes where it, was, it starts with the genuine recording yep. and then kind of merges... Yeah, absolutely. And with the actors who are maybe just slightly offbeat. Well, that's that. I mean, that's then it goes into just actors. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you're 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 trans you're translating something that's in the way someone said something, or the way that some someone supposedly said something, or the way someone looked. You know, it's 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 all it's all interpretation. I mean, qualitative. Uh I mean, I'm you you know, Galen. Obviously, my life outside of this, I, I do. You know, I do qualitative research as part of what I'm doing, and and obviously it's I do believe in it as a valuable tool, but at the same time, although when, there, when there you is, say quality, that you do qualitative research, you mean you're a, a secret customer for McDonald's? <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, but you get you get the idea. It's, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do, I, I do believe in obviously that it's, it's got subjective elements to it, but I think that you can broadly build up some kind of picture um, from from those things. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I, you've got to you've got to take it with a, a certain pinch of salt. Yeah, whereas I think if they just used the exact audio recordings and subtitles just to mm-hmm. show, you know, we're not changing any of this, we're not doing sure. artistic license stuff. Sure, absolutely. Then, I mean, the the content within Soaked in Bleach mm-hmm. does paint a very suggestive picture. Mm-hmm. But if it painted that picture with all of Courtney Love's words being spoken by Courtney Love as opposed to... Exactly. You know, exactly. I think it's, it's maybe 10%. Is sure. Courtney Love the rest of it is the actress who, what, to be honest, seeing that when they introduced the actress that played Courtney Love, I was like, mm-hmm. they've done some perfect casting there, and it's just a silhouette in a doorway. Oh, uh-huh, sure. You know, when you actually get to see the actress, you're gonna go, oh, she doesn't really look that much like Courtney Love, but just the silhouette in the doorway, they did that perfect. So why sure. couldn't they just say to them, you know? We'll be using your mouth to say their words. Mm-hmm. It'll all be dubbed, so you have to be moving the, you know, flapping time. Sure. sure. I think if they if they'd done that, then the documentary would be harder for people to attack. Fair enough. Okay, guys. So 
as I say, thank you very much indeed for listening. We do really appreciate it. And thank you. I was uh, heartened to see our listener numbers uh, this week have maintained. And that was always nice because I know iTunes can sometimes, you know, unsubscribe you after a certain period of time. So I was delighted to see that we, you know, have maintained the, the same number. And I was very, very chuffed to see that. So thank you very much indeed for listening last week. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate you sticking with us. Next week, um, we're hoping to have a very special guest on the show. Um, shall we announce or not? Well, we might as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next week, we are going to be joined by a uh, writer, uh, director, and producer, and everything else, a uh, multi-talented guy, uh, Larry Blamire, who has directed a number of amazing films, including uh, Dark and Stormy Night, uh, Lost Skeleton of Cadavera, um, and The Lost Skeleton Returns Again. Um, he's currently promoting an audio, a series of audio adventures, uh, um, which are a similar vein and they're also very good and we encourage you to check those out um, and that's uh, Big Dan Freighter um, so we're delighted to be joined by him next week uh, all being well um, so guys thank he's you he's going to be reviewing Minions with us <laughs> and brothers and sisters you can take that to the bank <laughs> uh, thank you once again for listening and as always please don't have nightmares Goodbye, everybody. Asmodeus, <laughs> Satanas, Lucifer, 